This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Career Talk on Business Radio. Here is your host, Dr. Don Graham. Welcome to Career Talk, your career insider. We are here on Business Radio. We are powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM, Channel 132. Hey, if it's noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, you can call us all hour at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. I'm the career director for the Wharton MBA program for executives in Philadelphia. I'm also a licensed psychologist, former corporate recruiter, and author of the new book, Switchers, How Smart Professionals Change Careers and Seize Success. We have Dream Team in studio, Michelle and Dion, who are ready to take your calls right now, 844-942-7866. Six six, And you know if it's Thursdays, it's open calls, and we want to talk to you about any and all career and job search questions that you might have. That is why we're here every week. And today we're going to talk about another favorite topic of mine, which is how the brain and psychology influence the job search and your success at work. I love this topic, and we're going to get really practical today about some of the things that happen in your brain and how they may be tripping you up at work and you don't even know, and then how to use those strategies to be more successful. To help us with that, we welcome Dr. Art Markman. He is a leading cognitive scientist, professor of psychology and marketing at the University of Texas at Austin, and co-host of the popular radio show and podcast, Two Guys on Your Head, on KUT Radio in Austin. Art is also the author of several books. His most recent is Bring Your Brain to Work, Using Cognitive Science to Get a Job, Do It Well, and Advance Your Career. Welcome to Career Talk, Art. Oh, Don, thanks so much. We're excited to have you here. Congrats on your book. Tell us a little bit about who this book is for and what inspired you to write it. Yeah, so, you know, a lot of what happened was I've been writing uh, articles for Fast Company online for several years, and they keep asking me to write stories about the application of, of my field, cognitive science, to work. And it, I began to realize that very few people who are struggling with, do I like my job? Can can I be productive? Can I solve problems effectively? How can I be a leader? Very few people have have ever taken a class that will help them to succeed at those uh, those tasks. And so I thought, well, it's not that those things can't be learned. It's that we're not teaching them. And so I really tried to to put a lot of, of information about the field of cognitive science, that interdisciplinary mix of psychology and neuroscience and, and anthropology and computer science all together in one place so that people can think about career success and all the lessons that they might have uh, they might need but haven't really learned in classes. And in your book you talk about different different types of brains. You're just you're kind of labeling the parts of the brain as motivational, social, and cognitive. And you use that as a framework throughout your book to talk about these different psychological neuroscience and all of these different processes. So just as a quick highlight, maybe you can tell us a little bit about those three different types in case they come up later in the show. Yeah, absolutely. So on the motivational side, you know, this motivational brain is really the set of mechanisms we have that engage the goals we have, develop habits, and allow us to be energized to do things or sometimes not energized to do things. And that turns out to be critical at every stage of of the career. Um, there's the social brain, the set of mechanisms we have that allow us to engage with other people, to work together and collaborate effectively, to communicate Sometimes that goes really well, but often there are lots of things that happen in the workplace, like having to communicate with our colleagues primarily by email or through Slack or something like that, that actually makes our social brain harder to engage effectively. And then there's the cognitive brain, those mechanisms that that enable us to learn, to uh, take on new information, to solve new problems in new ways. And, and those mechanisms are crucial for the lifelong learning that we need to go through in order to succeed at our career. And then as a bonus, I add the jazz brain, which, is our, uh, which comes out of the fact that I took up the saxophone in my mid-30s. And, 
And that really is all of the mechanisms we have that enable us to improvise and to really uh, take the knowledge we have and on the fly do something really marvelous. Yeah, and I think for our listeners today, it's not important that you remember all of those titles or what they all do, but I think you offer that in your book as a great framework for, for people to understand kind of where all of these fit in and how it comes together. So I love that you do that. But but we're just we're going to just talk about the brain in general and specifically those things that have been studied in your field, art, cognitive science, and things that maybe we don't know are even influencing how we interact with others, how we go about making decisions, and all of those other things that are crucial to both the job search and getting success through promotions and other things at work. And that's what we're talking about today on Career Talk. Hey, you're just tuning in. It's Thursday, noon Eastern. We are live all hour long. So give us a call at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. We're here with Dr. Art Markman, who is the author of the new book, Bring Your Brain to Work. So, so you talk about a number of things in your book, Art, starting with how to get a job, and then you talk about how to keep a job, and then moving up, and promotions, and all of that. So, so we're going to kind of touch on those different areas, but let's talk about, you know, in the world of careers, because I think you you have a story about your son in the beginning, and a lot of people are have graduated recently and are starting out on their careers. What can they expect as they they start to look for a job or explore what they want to do? Yeah, so I think there's there's several facets of this, one of which is to, to really calibrate yourself right on what it is that you should expect to, 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 to know how to do versus learn to do on the job. And, and so one of the things that happens is I think, you know, students who come out often are not 100% sure what it is that they're capable of doing already. And many of them end up suffering from a version of what's called imposter syndrome, which is this idea that I, I am going to get hired into something, that I, a job that I don't really deserve to be in. You know, and, and one of my kids, uh, my oldest son, actually took a job in which they offered him a job that he wasn't. Uh, they said, look, we're not sure that you're ready for this job yet, but we'd like to offer it to you. And he called me up. He said, what do I do? I said, take it. <laughs> because if, you, if you're already 100% qualified for any job that you take on, you have aimed too low. You need to take on a job that's going to allow you to grow, and you want to work for a firm that wants to help you to grow, and you need to learn through the process of applying and interviewing whether the firm is one that really wants to see you grow into a job. And the danger with this notion of imposter syndrome is that if, if you are worried that if people discover that you're not 100% qualified for your job, that they're somehow going to want to get rid of you, then you actually spend a lot of time avoiding telling people the things you don't know how to do. And it's actually really important that you admit your mistakes up front. So the other story I tell about that same son is early on, uh, he made a mistake at work and one of his colleagues yelled at him. And he, he immediately went to his boss and said, uh, well, here's what went wrong. I got yelled at. I think this is what I did wrong. And, and here's what I think I can do to fix it in the future. And it turns out that that's exactly the sort of thing his boss wanted because she now knew that he was going to come to her as soon as there was something that was a problem. She could now trust that she could give him something to do that was a little bit beyond his abilities, and he would come to her as soon as there was a problem. And and, and that, I think, is a, is a real recipe for success. Hey, 844-942-7866, you're listening to Career Talk on Sirius. XM 132. We're here with Dr. Art Markman talking about his new book, Bring Your Brain to Work. And if you have a question, of course, any and all job search topics are welcome every Thursday, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. You can give us a call at 844-942-7866. So, Art, I want to talk about this imposter syndrome because it doesn't only affect people who are just starting out in their career. I think it affects many people at various stages in their career. So they whether they're going for a promotion or maybe they're applying for a job that seems outside of their realm or maybe they've been asked to work on a client that is huge and very visible. So for people who are feeling this way that there, I'm going to be found out. I don't have the skills. What are some ways to, we're going back to the brain science here, to kind of calm yourself down and give yourself the confidence to move forward? 
Yeah. So I think that one of the things that's really important, and I think you're absolutely right, this is something that happens to people throughout their careers. I think one of the things that we have to recognize is that we have developed a set of habits over the years that we internalized from all of our years in school and still have, no matter how long it, it is that we've been out, that, that our goal in life is to minimize the number of mistakes we make because that's what, that's what academic success was all about. The people who do best in school are the, one who make, the ones who make the fewest errors, the fewest mistakes on tests. But actually, in the workplace, mistake-making is a fundamental part of what we do. We try something. If it doesn't work the, the way we wanted it to, we, we want to repair that. We want to fix those mistakes and learn from them. And so I think that no, no matter how big the project is that you're working on, it's never going to work out 100% right in all of its details. And so that requires moving with an orientation that says, I'm, I'm going to be vigilant for what's going wrong. I'm going, to be, I'm going to admit that something's going wrong as quickly as possible in a project and then work together with other people to repair that problem. And I think a lot of times what happens with people who are suffering from imposter syndrome is something starts to go wrong and they realize that they're not 100% sure what to do and they don't tell anyone. And, and mistakes are easiest to fix when they're small, when they first started. If you hold on to that mistake and you don't let people know, then they find out about it only later when it's much harder to correct for it. So it's really important to own that mistake right up front and then, and then to work with other people to, to help you to fix it. And, and, and anyone who does that actually ends up having success throughout their career. Yeah, and I think one of the things is people move towards um, you know, higher levels in their career. Now they have a reputation and they, they feel like they have more to lose. So taking risks seems much, to have much more of an impact. So I think you know, career switchers and people who are thinking of, of doing something different feel this a lot that, hey, I've achieved autonomy in um, this career. I know what I'm doing. I know all the players, but I want to do something different. But that's really scary because I don't have the qualifications to do that. And so so it is about really stepping back and understanding what are my transferable skills? What areas of my life have I done this before? And chances are when you reflect, there are so many things that you started out questioning or a little bit nervous about that turned out great. So I think it is about reflecting. And you, know, you brought up um, education a couple of times. Are And obviously, you are a professor and you're teaching classes. And I was really interested to learn that you are the director of something called the Human Dimensions of Organizations program at UT Austin, because this is something that, that sounds like it's a little bit different from what a lot of other universities offer. And it kind of covers some of those things like critical thinking and how to interact with people and how to deal with conflict that maybe we are not learning in the normal classroom. Yeah, so, so the idea there was that there are all of these disciplines of the liberal arts, the humanities, the social sciences, the behavioral sciences, that are really focused on aspects of the way people function. You know, history is all about conflicts and, and the resolution of those conflicts and, and how people interacted. Philosophy picks apart all of these concepts that we have to help us to understand them and to understand uh, how things can go right or wrong. And, and even to think about the ethics of things. Is lying bad? Well, we always say lying is bad, but, but then there are plenty of times where somebody says, how do I look? And in that moment, you say to them, you look great. Uh, and that was not a bad thing to have done. So so we, we need to make use of these disciplines to help us to think about how can we interact effectively with the people that we're going to engage with at work, some of whom are our colleagues and some of whom are the people that we're serving with our organization. And so we've crafted uh, both an undergraduate program and a master's program for people whose primary, the pro- where the primary problems that they face in the workplace each day are people problems. And then try to use this collection of disciplines to help them to solve those problems and to have a real academic basis for thinking about that so that they're, they're, they're better able to handle those people-centered problems on a day-to-day basis. 
hey, do you have a people problem at work? Maybe you have conflict on your team. Maybe you're a boss and you are not seeing eye to eye. But if you do, today's a great day to call because we have Dr. Art Markman on who is a cognitive scientist and he can give you some real world tips for dealing with those issues at work and catapulting yourself to success. You're listening to Career Talk Series XM, channel 132. We are taking your calls all hour. If it's Thursday noon Eastern, 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. You can also catch me at Twitter, at Dr. Don Graham. So let's talk about education for a second. Um, in your opinion and what you're seeing, whether it's with, with your own children or just in universities in general. I mean, are we are we not teaching our soon-to-be graduates or soon-to-be leaders what they need to know in the classroom to function effectively in the workplace? I think I think a lot of those lessons are missing, unfortunately. I think that we we do a great job of teaching uh, skills related to particular disciplines, particular majors. But for one thing, many of our college professors haven't spent time in workplaces beyond academia, and so they don't necessarily have experience with that. And, and I think that, that on top of that, we're, we're often so focused on making sure that people get the content from the majors that they've taken that we don't take a step back and recognize that at most universities, fewer than 4% of the students who go uh, to a particular major actually engage in advanced study in that discipline. Most of them go off into a workplace in which that discipline is, is only part of the job that they're going to do. And we don't do a good job of helping students to recognize here are skills that you've acquired through your college education that are going to be critical for being successful at work. And, and students discover that later, but they don't recognize exactly. When we, talk, we use a phrase like critical thinking, they're not 100% sure what that is. They don't realize that they've learned to take problems, pick them apart, uh, figure out things that might go wrong and plan for those in the future. They don't realize how much their undergraduate education has taught them about things like project management because they've had to, had to create a, a schedule that allowed them to get through a whole bunch of different classes. Uh, even though they, they might feel like they had too much work to do, they actually managed to get everything done. So they've got a huge number of job-relevant skills, but we're not actually teaching them that those skills are going to be important for their jobs later. Yeah, and we hear from employers that they are looking for for more job seekers who have critical thinking or can deal with conflict or can work with diverse populations or who can communicate effectively in different ways, who can problem solve and be creative. And so so and we're not teaching these in the classroom. So if you have somebody who's who's getting ready to to go into the workforce, what are some other ways that they can build these skills if they're not getting them in the classroom art? So I think that this is where various modes of experiential learning become so important, whether it's taking on an internship or just, you know, for, you know, for, for students, uh, you know, engaging in extracurricular activities in which they have to negotiate with other people who are part of that uh, to move a project forward. Or, you know, more importantly for people not just in school but, but, but beyond school to also engage in, in volunteer organizations because a lot of the problems that come up in the workplace are, are also things that you see in any other kind of organization. And if you, if you take on those opportunities to not just study for exams but actually become a part of an organization, you are forced to think, how would I solve this problem? And that's when you begin to connect things that you learned in classes with the kinds of problems that you're forced to solve. And that actually makes you better at articulating what skills you have, which is a really critical part uh, in the job search process. Yeah, I think one of the things we've lost because we carry around a little mini computer in our hands is the art of reflection. And so, so these things are happening. You are learning to be a project manager. You are learning to deal with conflict. But we don't really stop and reflect on those experiences to say, wow, I just built this skill set or I did that well or I need to do that better. And so I do think part of it is that we have to we have to you know teach our um, our new workers to slow down and think about these things because I think a lot of them do have these skills but it's this idea of not really putting two and two together uh, hey you're just tuning in we're listening all hour long to career talk series XM 132 we're gonna go to the phones right now with Kelly in Maryland welcome to the show Kelly 
What's on your mind today? Hi, how are you? Great. What can we do for you today, Kelly? Um, so in thinking about reflection, um, I sort of have a built-in reflection time right now. My husband and I um, just moved for his job to Maryland, and um, I'm currently not working. I'm a teacher, and our first baby is due in October. So um, I'm not going to be working probably until after the baby is born. So I've experienced success in my career, um, but I want to take this time to think about what my next career move is going to be. So I just was wondering what's the best way to think through my options now that given that I have this reflection time so that I can have more direction when I go back to work after my baby is born. Ooh, we love planners. We love planners, Kelly. So good for you for, <laughs> for even thinking about this now because it sounds like you're very busy and congratulations on on Thank the new you. baby. That's super exciting. So yeah, great question. So you're, you're wanting to think about how you can prep now for what you'll do next. So let me ask you, are you planning to go back into teaching or are you looking to do something different? So, like I said, I I have experienced a lot of success in the classroom, um, but I'm also kind of entertaining what would be my options outside of a classroom. Um, I have some ideas for maybe some little startup businesses or just kind of how to take my skills and do other things with them. Um, But I guess I don't really know what to consider um, to make the most of this time. Yeah, you know, to decide whether or not to go to the classroom or to try something new in my career. Great question. I'm glad you're doing this simultaneously because it will serve you well. So, so Art, I know you talk in your book about exploring different careers, and I think one of the the points, and Kelly, this this is kind of where you are too, is we don't know what we don't know. The market is changing so incredibly quickly that jobs that didn't exist yesterday now exist. Jobs that, that did exist yesterday are gone, and transferable right. skills are so so useful that there is no no common career path anymore. There's a lot of different jumping points that there's a lot of different structures. There's the gig economy, portfolio career. So there's so many options that it's exciting, but it's a little terrifying as well. Art, what is your advice for Kelly? Yeah, Kelly, this is, and by the way, congratulations on, on the new adventure that you're about to embark on with a, with a, with a child. That's a, one of, one of, one of life's you. great, one of, one of life's great adventures for sure. Um, one of the things that I talk about in the book early on that comes again later in, in the book as well is, is to really begin to take a step back and think about your underlying values. There's a lot of really wonderful research uh, that emerges out of social psychology on, on the values that people hold that can run for anywhere from uh, achievement, wanting to be recognized for the things you do, to tradition, really valuing the, the, the traditions and culture around you, and to benevolence, wanting to help the people around you. And the more that you reflect on your own personal values, the more that that can actually help to begin to guide you towards the kinds of of jobs that you might take in the future that will really resonate with who you are. And so, one of, you know, while you have the time and space to do that, really thinking not just about what day-to-day things might you like to do, but what do you really want to accomplish that would, that would allow you to fill, fit those values is something that might, might actually help a lot in, in beginning to narrow down uh, that job search. Yeah, I love that advice, Art, because values mm-hmm. are those things that we tend to spend our time on and are core to us. And if we ignore them, that's where burnout and other other negative consequences come in. So I love values. And you mentioned you're new to this area, Kelly. So I think one of the most helpful things you can do over the next several months is start to build your network. Of course, your network can be digital, can be all over the world, but get to talk to people, whether it's neighbors or people in the community or um, you know other people you're meeting in, in different areas of your life because you'll learn about what they do. You'll learn about where they've worked. You'll learn about connections they can introduce you to. And when you are ready to take that step, you'll not only have a clear direction of where you want to go, but you'll have people who are working in those places and who know you and can be a referral and open doors for you. So I think you've got a great opportunity to do that right now while you have the time. Is this helpful, Kelly? This is. I I really appreciate it. Definitely gives me food for thought. 
Well, good for you for getting ahead of the game. I'm hoping you're inspiring others who are are in this position to get started because there are so many things you can do to keep your skills up, to keep your network up, to take a step and reflect. I mean, values are so core and those may change when you when you start a family. Those may shift a little bit right. and certain things that weren't important before may be very much now. So I think that's a that's a great tip from Art and I think it's something that um, you know, you and your husband can explore together because your life is about to change in a big way and how does that impact your career so congratulations Kelly we're very excited for you and thank you for giving us a call on career talk hey we're here all hour long if it's Thursday noon eastern at 844 Wharton 844 942-7866. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. And hey, if you've not checked out my TEDx talk yet, learn how just one conversation can open up a world of opportunities. Just Google TEDx and Don Graham to find it. We're very excited to have Dr. Art Markman on the show today. He's a leading cognitive science and professor of psychology and marketing at the University of Texas at Austin and author of the new book, Bring Your Brain to Work. So, um, Art, so Kelly brought up a great topic about exploring what you want to do. And you have something in your book that says, don't edit your career in a forward direction. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so a lot of times we, we, we think to ourselves, this is what my career path ought to look like. And unfortunately, that belief about the future is strongly driven by what you've experienced in the past. I actually talk about some cool studies where if you ask people to draw alien creatures that, 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 that don't exist, people they, you know, they, they think they're being incredibly creative, but they still draw things that are symmetric, where they've got eyes and limbs on each side. They're, they're still strongly influenced by all the critters that we've seen on planet Earth. And, and I think the same thing happens in a career. We are influenced by what we have experienced before. And as a result, if we edit our career in the forward direction by only pursuing opportunities that are ones that we've considered already, then we end up being constrained by what we've already experienced as opposed to allowing the world to introduce us to things that might be far better than anything we ever contemplated before. And so it's really better to remember that your career is coherent primarily when you look back on it rather than when you're looking forward to the future. So how do people figure out then what that next step is? And I love what you write in your book. Um, You talk about, does everyone need a calling or vocation? Does everyone have a passion? And you talk about that people can actually learn to love their job. So I think this is a lot of pressure that people feel that I should have some intense connection to my work. And, um, And you're basically saying that some people do, but it's okay not to as well. That's right. You don't necessarily need to love it, certainly not on day one. A lot of times you have to grow into an understanding of the contribution that you're making in your career. And you may learn to love something that at first you never thought would be the least bit interesting to you. So don't, don't necessarily decide at the very beginning, oh, I couldn't, I don't, I'm not sure I, I like this or I'm, I'm not sure this is what the, the thing that was my passion. Instead, give yourself that opportunity to explore it and to learn what, what you can accomplish through that job and through that career career path, too. I mean, the fact is you may not love your job on day one, but it may be a means to uh, advancing to a position where eventually you end up doing things that you think are quite rewarding. And I think an important point in that is don't be passive. To Once you get a job, get to know people, meet people, understand the company outside of your department. How does your department interplay with the other departments? How does that all come together to impact the customer or the product or whatever it is you're doing? Because I think this curiosity is what really helps you understand what a, a next step could be. I mean, go to meetings that maybe uh, are in your in your wheelhouse, but you can meet people and see what's happening. Because it, like you said, it's really hard to know what we don't know. And the only way to do that is to be curious and step outside of of our small world and learn those things. Yeah, yeah. And find mentors, right? I mean, you know, I talk a lot about the value of having a whole mentoring team that, that includes people who are much more advanced in the organization than you are, where you're just learning how did they get where they were and what opportunities exist. And, and, I, and I completely agree with you, Don. What you want to do is to make sure that, uh, that, that you are being proactive in, in managing your career, which, again, requires overcoming a habit that so many people have, have, have uh, developed through school, where in school you're waiting for the next assignment. 
but in in work you should be you should be figuring out for yourself a lot of what those next steps are going to be yeah and i think i think that's that's partly where the brain gets in the way is we 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 learn how to do something and then we apply it to different situations where it doesn't necessarily fit anymore so i think that's a great thing about your book is you challenge those ideas about okay this worked but does it work here and that's something that people need to do hey we have to go to our pre-break quiz right now but we are going to be back with lots of other brain science cognitive biases and all sorts of fun things that you're probably doing and you don't even know it's a thing hey 844-942-7866 you're listening to Sirius XM channel 132 but let's talk about pizza quiz there's a quiz Another favorite topic of mine, pizza. Pizza trends have ranged from healthy to creative to gross, with toppings like sauerkraut, tater tots, dessert pizzas, crust stuffed with cheese to ones made of cauliflower. Villa Italian Kitchen has a new trend that is dividing the pizza world. What is this new trend in pizza? You think you know? Give us a call now at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. You're listening to Career Talk Sirius XM Channel 132. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham, and we will be right back. You're listening to Career Talk on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again is Dr. Don Graham. Welcome back to Career Talk on Sirius XM Channel 132. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham, and we are here with Dream Team in studio, ready to take your calls at 844-WARDEN, 844-942-7866. And just in case you missed the pre-break quiz, it is about pizza, so can't get more fun than that. Pizza trends have ranged from healthy to creative to gross with all kinds of things like stuffed crust, cauliflower crust, tater tot toppings. But there's a new trend now with Villa Italian Kitchen that is dividing the pizza world. If you think you know, give us a call at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. I'm going to give you a hint, Dion. That won't help you. I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan. (laughs) That's the hint? That's the hint. That's the hint. I know. All right. So... You're just tuning in. We are talking all about the brain at work, and we are here with Dr. Art Markman, who is the author of Bring Your Brain to Work, the new book talking all about how the brain is involved with getting a job, keeping a job, and moving on up. And Art, how can people reach you after the show if they'd like more information? Yeah, always love to hear from people. Easiest to find on Twitter, on uh, on Facebook. I have an author page on LinkedIn. Love to hear from people. You can also check out some of the things I've written at smartthinkingbook.com, which has some blog entries and, and links to some of my books. Fantastic. So let's talk a little bit about making decisions, because there's a lot of science out there about making decisions. And particularly as as it comes to work, people struggle with if they're in a job search, how do I decide between two jobs? Or maybe they've been asked to take on a promotion and they're not sure if this is right or move to a different department. And so, so people struggle with what is the right choice. First off, what are some of the things that get in our way when we make a decision as it relates to the brain art? Boy, there are so many uh, barriers to making effective decisions. One of them that happens if you're lucky enough to have more than one job offer is that often what you end up doing is comparing the choices that you have. So you compare the job offers to each other. And the danger with doing that, there's several dangers. One of them is is that you have to remember that you're going to experience your job in a different way from comparing. After you take the job, you're going to live in the job you have, not in the comparison between the jobs. And so you, you, what you really need to do is to actually put yourself in a position of, of thinking about the jobs that you want to take individually and, and how they seem to fit together. The danger of the comparison is it highlights those elements that are obvious contrasts, like the amount of money that you're making, whereas an element of a particular job that might be really fascinating but doesn't have an obvious correspondence to the other job might actually fade into the background. And so you might actually miss out on the the education opportunities that a particular company provides because the other company just didn't have anything like that even though those education opportunities might be the thing that propels you forward in your career. So experience those jobs, think about them individually and uh, you know rather than, than than in the comparison. 
Hey, you're having trouble making a decision between two jobs, or maybe you're thinking, should I stay or should I go? Is it time to move on? Give us a call on Career Talk 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866, and let us help you walk through that decision objectively. Don't let your brain get in the way. Sometimes it does, 844-942-7866. Six. So I think a lot of people um, are go with this gut decision. And I think the gut, there's been a lot of research on the gut lately that it does have actually some really good things to tell us, to pay attention to. So red flags, and it's really easy to ignore red flag if it's a big brand name, or maybe the money's really great, but we know the person we're going to be working for isn't a big advocate. So, so how do people weigh all of those things? And do you think it makes differences at different points in your career? Yeah, so... One of the things we need to think about is that, that those gut reactions are driven primarily by the, the sum total of the things that we've experienced in our lives. Essentially, when something fits with what we've experienced, we generally feel good about it. And when it, when it doesn't quite fit with our experience, we don't feel as good about it. Uh, the things that we think through um, you know, involve often things that are easy to articulate, to verbalize, to write down. And so each of those is missing some pieces. So, for example, early in your career, your gut instincts may not be particularly good ones because they were probably tuned primarily by your education experiences or by things that you encountered as a, as a kid. You know, early on, uh, I took a career aptitude test when I was about 18 years old. It told me I ought to be an accountant, not because I wanted to be an accountant, but because my dad's an accountant, and that's the thing that I was most familiar with. On the other hand, uh, we, you know, we also want to make sure that that uh, we, you know, that we're not focused only on things that are easy to talk about. Because sometimes you just walk through an office and you get a weird vibe from everyone, and you're not sure how to put words on it. But sometimes that's actually a reflection of underlying tension in the workplace, or even concerns about the viability of the firm. And so, uh, one of one of my colleagues, this 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 uh, radio show that you mentioned at, at the open called Two Guys on Your Head," and my partner in crime on the show, uh, Bob Duke, often talks about the fact that a great a great rule of thumb, a great heuristic to use, is that a good decision both thinks right and feels right. Well said. Hey, if you're having trouble thinking about a decision, maybe you're thinking, I want to start my own thing. Maybe you're thinking, ah, I don't know if that's a good idea. Give us a call at 844-942-7866 on Career Talk. And I think there's a lot of influence, especially for, for young people making these decisions, Art, about status and what their friends are doing and what their parents are are kind of pushing them towards. And, and that's why I think it comes back to what you mentioned earlier, which is values. What are your values? You know, really step back to the core of what you want to do. And you also talk about once you make a decision, whether you're picking between two jobs or a promotion, once you make that decision, you you have to go, go all in because there is no going back. And, um, you know, you talk about a lot of, of cognitive biases in the book, but let's talk about sunk costs for a little bit because I think that's one that trips a lot of us up, in, not only at work, but in everyday life. Tell, tell us a little bit about that, Art. Yeah, so the concept of a sunk cost is pretty straightforward. It's the amount of time or energy or money that you've invested in something that you're doing. And a lot of times when we make decisions, we end up continuing to do something, staying in a job, continuing with a particular project because of the amount of time, energy, and money that we've put into it already. When in fact, there are times where we should look at things and say, is this a project that is worth continuing independent of how much time and energy and money I've put into it? Because I can't get that time, energy, and money back. And, you know, it's interesting. I mean, there's been a lot of discussion uh, about, you know, about the concept of grit. Angela Duckworth from from the University of Pennsylvania. And I think it's really important to recognize that while on the one hand, uh, it's important to have a a certain degree of persistence in your job to, to, to really commit all in to the things that you're doing. On the other hand, there's a lot of wisdom from that old Kenny Rogers song that used to say, you got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. And I think that there's, there are times where you need to look at something you're doing and saying, you know what, this is not the path to success for me. There's other lower hanging fruit where I can make more progress by putting my efforts into something slightly different. 
And so we want to really learn not to be so bound up with where we've put our efforts already that we miss opportunities to do something really fantastic that are slightly uh, off to the side of something that we've been working on. Yeah, it is so hard, though. I mean, I think about everyday examples like, you know, for some of us, maybe we paid to get into a movie and the movie is so (laughs) bad that all right, I want to walk out, but I already paid. So I might as well stay the extra hour. And we, you know, we rationalize these things our brain does. And and it's like, well, why would I waste another hour when I know this isn't where I want to be, but our brain just kind of gets in the way. But, but, and that's kind of a minor one, but a lot of people stay in a job that, that either is burning them out or is not great for their long-term career path or whatever the situation because of this sunk cost. Well, you know, golden handcuffs or things like that. So how can somebody who's struggling with that or maybe you're staying in in an educational program because you're two years in and you think, oh, I got to finish this even though I know I don't want to do this anymore. How can people kind of get away from from what the brain's trying to do here and, and make a good decision for themselves, Art? Yeah, one of the things that's really important to do is to think about how many of the constraints that you are using to rationalize your decisions are truly constraints, and how many of those are just things that you're saying in order to uh, justify a decision that you want to make. So, for example, a lot of times people say, well, I can't possibly afford to change jobs right now. Uh, And and, and it's always risky. To, to, to take a you know to move away from a particular career path you were on, or perhaps to move from one firm to another because you feel like that firm is just not one that that you enjoy working for, uh, and so you say, well, I can't do that because I, I have bills to pay and I have things to do. Well, I think it's really important to ask yourself, is that true? That is, you know, are, is the amount of money that you're spending each month is that obligatory? Or, or is there some amount of play in there? Is it possible that you could actually make do with a little bit less for a while in order to give yourself an opportunity to be happier or more satisfied with the work that you're doing? And so you want to actually make sure that the things that you are allowing to constrain you really are true constraints on your life rather than things that you've imposed on yourself that could be done differently. And I, I tell some stories in the book about people often who experienced really significant um, tragedies in their lives, the death of a loved one or a serious illness of their own that caused them to rethink uh, their career paths and often realized that they had more flexibility to make a change than they thought. And, and I believe that we shouldn't wait for a life tragedy to lead us to the point where we're willing to actually make, contemplate uh, how, to, how to make changes if we're really unhappy. Mm-hmm. Well said, Art. Hey, you're listening to Career Talk, 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. We're here with Dr. Art Markman, who is the author of the new book, Bring Your Brain to Work. He is also a cognitive scientist, and we're talking all about cognitive biases. But if you have a question on any and all job search topics, we'd love to hear from you. And maybe, maybe you're wondering if you should cut your losses on something. That is such a hard decision to make. Let us help you here on Career Talk, 844 844- for 942-7866. But right now, since it's lunchtime, we have to talk about pizza and our pre-break quiz. So, so Dion, what is the new trend that is having <laughs> people frenzied and divided around pizza? I mean, so much has been done with pizza already. It It's kind of hard to come up with something new. No, it's not. This one's good. Really? Yeah, this one's good. Okay. Okay. Uh, it's probably not going to be what I'm about to say then. Remember, I'm a big fan. That's your hint. See, that's the thing. I don't think you're, you'd be a fan of, of my answer. Okay. Because my answer is cutting the round pizza into squares. Yeah, not a fan. <laughs> not a fan. Not a fan. I don't know who came up with that, but they were not from Wait, that, New Jersey. That's, that's happening now? <laughs> no, they do that. Doesn't Domino's do that? Oh. One of them does. I, I, I don't know. It's blasphemy, yeah. but... <laughs> Get up on well, your pizza so trends. So it's pineapple on pizza, but that's a whole yeah. No, there, there's what? What <laughs> pineapple on pizza is blasphemy? Not blasphemy. It is. No, 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 no. There should be pineapple on every pizza. Whoa, 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 a, a plain pizza whoa. should just come with pineapple. <laughs> Slow down. All right. I love. Uh, yeah, but here's the thing: you can't cut it in little squares because the whole thing is is that pizza's round comes in a square box and is cut in triangles, and that's just what a pizza is. 
I never thought about that. Yeah. That's that's, that's geometry, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of geometry. Okay. <laughs> Pineapples should be on pizzas. Michelle, what's your answer? I'm going to go, because you've said three times now how much you love it, I'm going to go with your Halloween love and say candy corn. Oh, oh. That sounds horrendous, by the way. That does I mean, that would be horrendous. controversial, no? It would be controversial. I do love Halloween. It is not candy corn, mm. but that was that was a good putting together. All right. Solid guess, right? Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to tell you that for $2.75 at participating Villa Italian Kitchens, you can order just the crusts. You'll get 5 to 6 crust lumps. Wait, crust lumps arranged in the shape of a slice of a pizza. And these are not just crusts. They actually cut them off the pizza. That's called breadsticks. Thank you. That's no, what I, no. That's, but that's, what, that's what's on I my face right now. I knew you were going right to say that. I knew you were going to say that. But they actually cut them off the pizza because there's, it's different. Well, what do they do with the pizza it's then? It's different. I don't know. I remember when that trend came out about muffin tops and everyone just wanted the top. What did they do with the muffins? I don't know. That was a Seinfeld episode. That was a Seinfeld. <laughs> oh, very good, Dion. I'm impressed. All right, I'm impressed. That's our that's our second Seinfeld Seinfeld episode reference today. Is it? Yeah, because we because we were just talking about the vault off the air. Oh yeah, the vault. Yeah, yeah. I, I can reference Seinfeld all day. But yeah, just the crusts. So I'm a fan. I love the crusts. I don't think it's just the handle of the pizza. Hey, do you agree or disagree? Well, we'll throw a poll up on Twitter. Just the crusts. Thumbs up or thumbs down? I need down. to know what's happening with the rest of the pizza. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Well, there are some people who don't eat the crust, so I'm sure it's a win-win. So where they just some... sell pizza without I'm, the crust? I'm guess- yes. Do you know how many people cut the don't eat the crust? I'd buy that. Yeah. So, so yeah. So if me and Michelle went out for pizza, we'd have a splendid time. <laughs> She'd eat the pizza. I'd eat the crust. It would be it would be lovely. Hey, eight four four Wharton, eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. You're listening to Career Talk on Sirius XM channel one thirty two, and we're talking all about bring your brain to work with Dr. Art Markman, who is a leading cognitive scientist. And let's talk a little bit about um, you talk in your book about getting hired and what recruiters are looking for. And one of the things that I love that you talk about is um, the presenter's paradox and that at each stage, recruiters think differently because I'm such an advocate of this. So tell, tell our listeners what that is, Art. Yes, the presenter's paradox is this interesting idea that when you're creating a presentation of yourself, say, on a resume, you think to yourself, i got to throw in every single good thing about myself I can think of, whether it's great or just kind of good. So, you know, that, that honorable mention I got in this competition that I was a part of, I should toss that in. And the assumption behind that is that when recruiters are looking at that resume, they're just adding up the total amount of goodness that they can find about you. But in fact, when people evaluate something like a resume, they're not adding a bunch of stuff. What they're really doing is averaging. And so four amazing things and one mediocre thing is actually worse been four amazing things without the mediocre thing. Mm-hmm. And so what that means is to the extent that you have some choice about what to include on your resume, you should focus on presenting just the absolute best stuff about yourself. And those things like those honorable mentions, yeah, maybe you ought to leave those off to the side. Yeah, I love that because I, I always say to my clients, don't let the great be hidden in the good. Because it, in addition to the, them averaging, they also don't take time to read everything. And maybe what their eyes hone in on are the things that are okay, but not your best or most relevant skills. So I love that you talk about the fact that, too, that the first stages of the recruiting process are all about elimination, not selection. And it's obviously a very different brain process. And they're looking for reasons to knock you out until the end, the very end. Then it switches in their brain to look for, and you talk about reason-based choice. So talk a little bit about this, because I think this is something that people can get such a competitive advantage in the job search if they understand. Yeah, so so again, you know, early on, recruiters are rejecting, so don't give them an easy reason to reject you. Make sure you're not using Comic Sans on your resume, uh, and, and, and make sure you haven't, there aren't any typos or anything like that. I mean, all that stuff that's going to get you kicked out, you want to make sure that, you, that, you, that you're not 
giving people an obvious reason to reject you. And then when it comes time to the, the process of going from the, the medium-sized list to that real short list where, people are, where recruiters are going to be uh, interviewing you, you want to try to find a, help them to craft a reason for picking you over everybody else. Because at the end of the day, a lot of recruiters are going to have to justify why they chose a particular candidate to interview. And the more that you can actually help them to craft a story about why you're the person that they want to pick, the, the easier it is for you to get included in that, uh, that final list of people who get the interview. Yeah, I love that. We call that doing the work for them, giving them the language to pass on to the other people on their team or the hiring manager, whoever it is, is going to make that decision. Give them why you're relevant to that specific job, not just your general strengths, but why you're going to be a fit. I love that. And that requires some work on your part. A lot of work. Actually, I'm going to just put it out there. That requires a lot of work. You have to research your audience. You have to understand the market. You have to understand what their biggest pain points are and then how your skills relate to that and can fix that. And a lot of people hear that and they think, oh, I, that's, that's a lot of work and I don't even know if I can do that. But the fact is you can. And there's there's steps to do it. And I think that's why it's better to not paper the world with your resume looking to get a job, but spend that time really focusing and honing in on, on, on a few jobs where you can get referrals, you can do your research, and you can be the candidate of choice. You're going to be a lot more successful in that job search. Hey, you're listening to Career Talk, Sirius XM, Channel 132. We're here with Dr. Art Markman, who is the author of Bring Your Brain to Work. And we're talking all about cognitive biases and, and different ways you can use psychology and neuroscience to amp up your career. So as we're as we're wrapping up, um, we talk, uh, obviously, a lot of people are nervous in an interview and you talk about choking and first impressions being being very important. Uh, How can you how can you reduce that anxiety that the brain imposes on you in an interview and calm yourself down so you could present yourself in the best way possible art? Yeah, the best possible thing you can do is to remember that a lot of what they're trying to do in that interview is to figure out whether you're the sort of person that they want to work with. I mean, you've already passed through a big hurdle by just getting that interview in the first place. So treat that interview as a collaboration, not as an exam. If you go in and you think you're being examined, well, then uh, there's you can understand why you'd get so nervous about it. But if you're just going in to have a conversation with someone where you're evaluating them as much as they're evaluating you, now it's, it's much less nerve-wracking. And it also opens up opportunities. For example, if they ask you a question and you're not sure how to answer it, engage in a conversation instead. You know, it's not like a test where you ask the teacher to clarify the question and the teacher goes, I can't do that. No, I mean, you know, talk to the person, have a conversation, get to know more about the way that the firm approaches these kinds of problems. Because now it's not, you know, now there's, there's no horrible downside to, to having a conversation with someone as opposed to the prospect that you could fail an exam. Mm-hmm. Yep. Pay attention to those messages in your head. What are you telling yourself as you walk in there that this is a great opportunity or that if I don't do well on this, something bad's going to happen? You really have to pay attention to those those things you're telling yourself because guess what? Your brain will believe you. So, so switch your messages and you're going to switch your success. Hey, it's been great having you on the show. Art, one last time, we're can people reach you if they want more information? Yeah, thanks so much, Don. This has been great. You can find me on Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn, and you can also find out more information about my books and other things I write at smartthinkingbook.com. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. This has been interesting. I love talking about psychology and the brain, and I'm sure that you've given our listeners a lot of things to think about. And hey, um, Michelle and Dion, it's always fun to hang with you guys and to talk about pizza and of course to all of our callers and listeners we are here every week on career talk live for you on sirius xm channel 132 so check us out and if you want to check out some back issues dr dawn on careers on itunes and google play is where you can catch our prior shows thank you for joining us and we will see you next time for more insight from business radio please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.